can learn a lot about what we're to be about in life when we look at the life Jesus exemplified for us. And we're going to see that he came to set an example for us today, but also to do much more than that. Look, look at your Bibles. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. You, you'll want to stand as we open the Word of God together and honor the reading of his Word. And I want you to hold your place there and also turn back to the Gospel of John. So open your Bible or turn it on, as we said last week. Maybe this morning you just need to turn your Bible on. Um, to the Gospel of John and chapter 13. Chapter 13, we'll look at verse 15. So two verses I want to read, and then we will look at, kind of systematically this morning at how Jesus came to be the greatest example for mankind that ever lived. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we read, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And then back to John chapter 13, verse 15. After Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Father, we thank you this morning that we don't have to be left wondering or observing every religious ritual in this world to figure out what we're to be about. Jesus, you told us to walk in your steps and to follow your example. So as we look at your life and all that you exemplified for us, I pray that we would seek to be that same example in this world in which we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, it's interesting, in, in his coming to die, and we'll, we'll get into next week, the life exchanged in, into Passion Week and the resurrection. In his coming to die, Jesus, before he ever died, he showed us how to live. He modeled what life was all about. He lived life to the fullest. I'm looking forward to um, uh, kind of watching somewhat critically on the History Channel as they get into the Gospels real soon. I don't know if you've been watching the Bible movie, but I, I watch it and then I make some critical remarks and some uh, maybe complimentary remarks, depending on how close it seems to the Bible. But on most movies that I've ever seen, they kind of show Jesus as this stoic, dry, religious figure. Uh, the problem with that is Scripture very, makes very clearly he knew how to live. He was full of life. Kids were attracted to Jesus. They wanted to be around this personality. And so, and by the way, kids don't like to be around boring people, do they? They want excitement. They want passion. They want enthusiasm. Jesus obviously demonstrated life. Now, let me be abundantly clear here. Jesus did not only come to set an example. I know that there are schools of thought out there that say Jesus came and he set a great example for us, but they only see Jesus as a model for living. As a matter of fact, I would go as far as to say this. As C.S. Lewis said, he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. If Jesus is only a good example, then that would kind of be uh, contradictory in that he said he was the Son of God with power, would die and rise again, and that we would come to the Father through him. And so if he lied, he would not be a good example, right? So he's more than a good example. But sometimes as evangelicals, we focus all of our attention on the gospel. And by the way, we should be focused on the gospel, the good news. But sometimes we overlook the example that he did come to set for us that we could walk in his steps. And so what I want us to do this morning is just look at his life. And 
looked at several verses this past week of why Jesus came, why he said he came, why others said he came. And by looking at these verses together this morning, I think we'll see the example that he set for us, that we should follow in his steps. What was he doing? What was he calling us to that we should walk after him? And the first thing I want you to notice from the scriptures, and I think it becomes perhaps the most important thing that he did for us when it came to setting an example, is that Jesus lived to shine for the glory of God. He lived to shine for the glory of God. If you're still in John's gospel, turn back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word there refers to, it's the Greek word logos, that has to do with the fact that all that God is was wrapped up, was in Christ, that Word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not or or could not overcome it or comprehend it. And then verse 14 says, and the word, the logos, became flesh. That's what we call the incarnation. We celebrate that at Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to shine the Father's glory in this world. When there was no way for man to figure out who God is, where God is, all these religions we paraded across uh, just a moment ago, the very best we could uh, possibly accomplish would be that of an agnostic saying, if there is a God, there's no way in our finiteness we could get to know him. God himself, the incarnation, God the Son, stepped out of heaven and came to this world to shine the Father's glory so that we might behold the Father's glory and see who God is and and what God is about. It's interesting that Jews were celebrating in uh, John chapter 7, the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And at the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles, we see in John chapter 8, verse 12, this was at a moment that at the feast they would have lit these four torches. It would have been more spectacular than the lighting of the Olympic torch during the Olympic Games they would have lit these four torches that would have burned throughout the Feast of Tabernacles. And when I try to describe to students what the Feast of Tabernacles was like in Jerusalem, the best imagery that I can ever come up with is it was kind of like a NASCAR event. How many of you have ever been to a NASCAR event? I mean, you know, you see camper trailers, motor homes, as far as the eye can see. It is redneck heaven. I mean, everybody's flying their favorite team drivers, flag and everything else, and you know, I've been to a few of them, so I can't make fun of anybody else, right? And, and I mean, as far as the eye can see, in Jerusalem, there would have been tents and tabernacles as far as the eye could see, and now they're packing up, and nothing's there but the, the litter and the trash, and these torches were extinguished, and nothing but a smoldering wick, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like, man, the party's over, they're packing up, everybody's leaving, and all of a sudden, it's darker than it has been up until this point, because the the, the lights that had lit the city and lit the, the walls of Jerusalem there have been extinguished. And Jesus says, in that setting, I am the light of the world. If, if you believe in me, you'll never walk in darkness. And many times today we want to curse the darkness. Jesus didn't come to curse the darkness. He came to shine a light. He came to let his light shine. He said, I am the light of the world. And 
Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, he says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We're like, what is God like? Jesus said, let me show you. As God the Son, he came to show us who God is and what he's about. He came to shine for the glory of God. Now, Jesus came to shine for the glory of God. Well, you say, well, how do we follow an example? In case you haven't noticed, Pastor, I'm not perfect. In case you haven't noticed, Pastor, I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In case you haven't noticed, I struggle with life like anybody else. I'm not born of a virgin. I'm not the sinless Son of God. How do I let my light shine? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. He says, just like a city on a hill cannot be hidden, but in a night sky because of the torches, because of the lights. And today, of course, we have electricity. A city on a hill certainly cannot be hidden. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That means we're about to be, we're to be about the works of Christ in this world so that we might bring glory to Him. Now, the context of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, this, this salt of the earth, this light of the world passage, is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where He is explaining what kingdom living is all about. He's saying, look, you're, you're ambassadors, you're living for a, a greater kingdom. You're living for the kingdom of God, but you are visiting in this world for a time, and so your life should model for everybody else those things that are important in the kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if we've been born again, if we're a child of God, it says you are a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. So as a Christian, it is a compliment if somebody says, listen, you're different, you're weird, you're radical. Why are you so strange? You say, because I've embraced principles and and works from another world, from the kingdom of God. How do we summarize kingdom living? You say, I I don't have time to memorize Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and the Sermon on the Mount or all of the Gospels for that matter. Paul did us a favor in Romans. He summarized what kingdom living was all about. In one verse, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, he said, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness. That means seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, saying, Lord, I want to be washed in your blood. I want to be cleansed from my sin. I want to be a new person. I want your Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me that I might be able to live for your glory, right with God, righteousness, being in right relationship with God, just walking with God, seeking first his king, uh, his kingdom and, and the king the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. The Scripture calls it a peace that passes all understanding. Where you're able to say, it is well with my soul. And then joy in the Holy Spirit. And I think all three of these are in the Holy Spirit. It's when we come to a place where we say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5.22, are lived out in your life. So many Christians look just like everybody else in the world. 
They're missing out on the righteousness, the works of Christ. So many Christians are without peace today. The world looks at us and we, we seem like we're rattled and wringing our hands and we don't know what to do about every situation that comes our way because we're missing His peace. Our joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many Christians do we meet? A moment ago we were doing a, a drama and, and, and we were laughing and having a good time in here. But there are churches all across this land, even throughout the Bible Belt, that if you begin to laugh in church, you begin to show a little joy in the Holy Spirit, They'll say, that's not of God. We don't come to celebrate. We come to feel bad about our sins and get right with God. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. He said, that's the kingdom. And, and when we live in, in this Christ-like way in this world, we become light. So the, we become previews of coming attractions. I've told many of you before, sometimes my, my favorite part of going to see a movie it's not the movie itself. It's the preview of coming attractions. It's when we're watching a scene from a movie and we say, wow, I can't wait till that one comes out. Dude, there's another Rocky movie coming on. <laughs> another Indiana Jones movie. Oh, I can't wait. We see the preview of coming attractions and it makes us want to be there when it comes. And Christians should live their life with righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit so that others will look to us and say, that's what the kingdom is all about? I want to be a part of that kingdom. It takes a remarkable, remarkable balance, but righteous living, but yet living in the world, not of the world. And, and it's a difficult, it seems like a tightrope that we're walking sometimes. And we seem to go to extremes. You know, you know our, our Amish friends, who I love dearly, they have the separation thing down, don't they? Come out from among them and be separate. They have that separation thing down. Holy living, consecrated living, not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. They, they, they've got that part down, but what about being in the world but not of the world? What about the witness? What about the passion? What about the relationships and, and interacting with others? On the other hand, as, as evangelicals, so many of us, we've got the infiltration aspect down. Man, we're in the world. We're going along, but, but we find ourselves just kind of swimming in the same direction rather than upstream. We we got the infiltration aspect down, but when it comes to, like last week when we saw, and in, in, in the past few weeks when we looked at a better way, when we looked at this whole thing of dating and courtship and marriage and family and resolving conflict and all of these things, we just kind of approach it like everyone else in the world does. We just kind of baptize their system and make it our own. And there's a fine balance there. Jesus prayed for our sanctification, not for our isolation, that God would leave us in the world, but that we would not be of the world, that we would shine for his glory in the way that we touch lives for him, in it, not of it. The problem today, I think we have so many whiners that have forgotten to be shiners for his glory. Let's walk in his steps. And let our light so shine before this world that they want to be a part of the kingdom. Not only did he live to shine for the glory of God, Jesus lived to serve others. Jesus lived to serve others. A moment ago I read from John chapter 13. So if you're still in John, turn back to uh, chapter 13. It was verse 15 where he said, I've given you an example. Well, what had he done to give an example? Well, they were in the upper room. It was after the Passover. 
It's at that time that Jesus is really getting His heart and His mind turned toward the cross. And with His attention on the cross, it says, and supper being ended, verse 2, this is chapter 13, verse 2, supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand, and that He had come from God, and was going to God, rose from supper, and laid aside His garment, you might say, well, why did he lay aside? This was his outer garment. See, he took on the, the picture of a slave as a bondservant at this point. He took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. Obviously, in this day and age which Jesus lived, they would have walked around either barefoot or in uh, thong sandals, but not the, not the shoes we wear today. Well, I don't know. A lot of folks love flip-flops today, don't they? Nasty. Anyway, they walk around barefoot or in thong sandals, and, and so their feet would be dirty, and, and it would be a custom for the slave or the servant to wash the feet of the guest. Jesus took that on. It would be today as if we were shining someone's boots after they'd been working in the chicken house or something. He took on the form of a servant and began to wash his disciples' feet. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, after the disciples had tried to jockey for position, you know, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want to sit at your right hand or I want to sit at your left hand. Jesus, we want to be, we want to be important in the kingdom now. We're walking with you. You said come and follow you and we're following you. And so we want a special role. We want to be CEO. We want to be CFO. We want to be in charge in the kingdom. And Jesus rebuked them and said, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then be the servant of all. You want to be great? You be the servant of of all. Jesus lived to serve others. And then in verse 45 of Mark chapter 10, after that rebuke, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Serving others meant washing feet. Serving others meant caring and bringing a ministry of healing to people that needed healing. Serving others meant that he was willing to stand and listen to the woman at the well as she explained that she had had five failed marriages, or he obviously brought that subject to the surface. And he offered living water. He was giving, caring, serving, healing, ministering to others until he would be exhausted himself. Serving to the point of even suffering. Well, we read from 1 Peter 2, 21 just a moment ago that we are to follow him even in his suffering, to serve others until it even hurts not only is he an example in that serving, this kind of leads into next week's message on the life exchanged. Because Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, let this attitude be in you which was also in Christ, or adopt the mindset of Christ. In other words, follow in his example. In, in verse 6 and following, he says basically this, Jesus being in very nature God, that's the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, Jesus took on the role, the God the Son took on the role of the servant. And it says he, the word literally there is bond slave. He took on the, the form of a bond slave, became obedient even to the point of death, even the death of a cross. So he served when it meant giving his own life.
You know, we can change this world when we learn how to serve. We can change this world when we learn how to serve. I heard the story again this week of John Maxwell, a great author and, and speaker on leadership, as he, he spoke of walking into an airport to catch a plane, and when he got to the terminal, everybody was sitting there, and they were all upset, they were grumpy, they were angry, they were frustrated. Uh, the guy that was kind of working for the airlines and, and running the terminal there before he could board everybody, he was, he, he was just kind of apologizing and, and sweating, and, and John Maxwell just kind of asked what's going on, and somebody explained, well, the stewardesses for our flight aren't here. And this had just ruined everybody's day. The flight was going to be late. And so John Maxwell said, well, let, let me see if I can help the situation out a little bit. So he walked up to the concession area. He purchased Cokes for everybody there. When he explained to the person at the concession area, he says, listen, I'm going to buy a Coke for everybody sitting over here missing their flight. The guy working there said, hey, man, can I help give them out? That's cool. So they walked over there, and they said, hey, there's a free drink for everybody here. And they, they offered everybody a free Coke, and, and people are starting to cheer up just a little bit. He went back, and, and he said, listen, he told the crowd there, he's using a sense of humor here. He said, listen, we don't need stewardesses. If I'm willing to serve you, will you get on the plane so we can fly? And they all said, yeah. One guy said, nope, I want my peanuts. I want to be served my peanuts. Well, the guy that was running the terminal said, we can't do that, sir. Uh, we, we can't board this plane without stewardesses. It goes against protocol. It can't happen. And he said, well, how about this? Do you have some peanuts? And he began to serve the people peanuts. And next thing you know, they're just having a good time. Everybody's attitude had changed. Everybody's a little bit more cheerful. They've had their Coke. They've had their peanuts. This crazy guy has been serving them. The stewardesses finally show up. They, they all look at the stewardesses and says, oh, we're fine. We don't need you. We've got John. They get on the plane. He asks for permission to take the mic for the PA system and speaks over the airplane and explains, don't listen to these stewardesses. They're running late anyway. I'm here to serve you. Let me know what I can bring you. Listen, it got so crazy. Of course, he did not want to admit that he was a gospel preacher, but it caused it got so crazy that finally uh, one of the stewardesses said, listen, because John has been such a good Good servant in his honor today is free drinks. Everybody on the plane. <laughs> By being a servant, he completely changed the attitude of an entire crowd. And it opened up an opportunity for him to share why he did what he was doing. So we're to serve, yes, through ministries in the church. I understand our ministry placement team met this morning. They're excited about a new church year coming up, and they're going to ask so many of you to find a place to serve to serve sacrificially, to serve sometimes till it hurts. And so we're to serve in the church. We're the body of Christ, and we're to serve one another and serve as the church. But, but I think it's got to go a lot further than that. It's got to be an attitude that reaches outside of the walls of the church and touches others. Find someone that's hurting and serve them. Maybe it's offering a meal. Maybe it's doing yard work for an elderly person. Perhaps it's going to uh, some young parents who are pulling out their hair and, and saying, we're going to babysit for you so you can have parents' night out. You need it. Any parents been there before? Serving. You know, how can we serve you? How can we minister to you? Jesus took on the, the form of a servant. Maybe it's tutoring and mentoring. The kids that need a tutor or mentor in their life. 
Jesus lived to serve others. And finally, Jesus came to seek the lost. Jesus came as a seeker. He came to seek the lost. He obviously died for all. For Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he also showed us how to live a life seeking them out. In Luke chapter 19, you read the story the kids learned in Sunday school years ago. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Remember that story? And Jesus came to Zacchaeus and said what? Zacchaeus, help me out, kids. All right, big kids got it right. Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. He was a tax collector. He was despised by so many of the Jewish people. But Jesus says, I'm going to your house, and we're going to have a party. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And there are people that are grumbling. What's he doing hanging out at Zacchaeus' house? Tax collectors and sinners. Jesus said, listen, I came to seek and to save the lost. The only difference between Zacchaeus and the Pharisees was Zacchaeus recognized his need for Christ. The Pharisees thought they had it all together. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We're to follow his example. When he calls his disciples, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But often we're not following in his steps. We're not fishing. We're not trying to reach out to those who don't know him. Zach, did you find my wallet? You didn't find my wallet? You put... Why didn't you find my wallet? Boom. I'm glad you said that. We didn't rehearse that. He said, I didn't know I was supposed to look for it. You weren't. Um, why are we not finding the lost, those without Christ in this world? Because most of us don't know we're supposed to be looking for them. We, we've forgotten that we're supposed to be looking. I just received a Friday evening a 41-page demographic study of our area, five-mile radius from the church. Now, listen, I realize that the town of Danielsville only has about 500 people. But that's a, a small city limit area. Did you realize... And I'm going to get into this demographic with some of our church leaders in the future to better understand the people that we need to be serving and ministering to in our community. But within a five-mile radius of our church, there are 6,197 people. We're just out in the middle of the country, right? Only 6,197 people. Do you realize also that 4,090 of them are not affiliated with a religious group at all? That's two-thirds that have no religious affiliation whatsoever. There will be only 1,000 of the 6,000 in a house of worship this morning. Only 1,000. Well, we're in the Bible Belt. Everybody goes to church. No. Less than 20% will be in worship on any given Sunday. The largest segments, listen to this. I love this because I didn't have to make up these terms. This is what the demographic study describes. All the various groups all around the world, and I looked at what groups were described in our area. The largest groups that we're called to reach out to, the first group is called Families in Motion. That's families with kids, and their life is busy, busy, busy. They're trying to work. They're they're trying to keep up with the athletics, the arts, and the academics, and usually in that order, athletics, arts, and the academics. 
and they're involved in everything from under the sun, and they're just, quite frankly, too busy to be in a house of worship. They're too busy to come to church anymore and get involved in the things of God and do missions and evangelism. Those were the families in motion. The next largest group, you'll like this one. Again, I didn't make up this name. They were the Country Fried pragmatic, uh, Pragmatics. Country Fried. Excuse me. We'll get that right. Country Fried. Country Fried. <laughs> Anybody ever called you Country Fried? Country Fried Pragmatics. They were described as those who loved the simple life. Maybe they've always lived in a rural area, and so they decided to stay, or perhaps they relocated to a rural area because they wanted to simplify life. That's the second group that we're called to reach out to in our community. And this is not in order. This is in order of size, according to the study. It's not in order of priority for our ministry at all. The third largest group was the work hard, pray hard group. These people do have some claim to faith, but they're just so busy. They're working so hard, usually lower middle class, blue collars workers. workers. They're just trying to make ends meet. And they have a lot of debt, and they have a lot of time that they spend working to pay off that debt. Listen, two out of three of these largest groups feel like they've just got too much going on to make God part of their life. That's who we're called to minister to. And then there are the pragmatics who do like to simplify, do like to keep things simple, find time. Sometimes they find time for God. Sometimes it's just, just after the simple life. We've got to find a way to reach into our community to seek. How many of you will probably do an Easter egg hunt this year? Just Everybody will go somewhere. You don't do it anymore. You watch the kids do it, right? You go hide the eggs. People like my dad who likes to hide the eggs where nobody can find them. You know, you go hide the eggs. And you don't tell the kids, hey, you know what, we're going to have a lot of fun. You just stand right here. And the eggs are going to kind of roll up to you. And as the eggs roll in your direction, you just put them in your basket. No, that's, that's not what we do. We have to go and find them. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We are to go. We're not to just... Listen, it's wonderful to be here in a place of worship on Sunday morning and say, man, everybody's just going to come rolling in. Build of dreams, church of dreams. Build it and they will come. That's not how it works. Jesus said, go into all nations, teaching those things that you observed in me. Take my word to all nations. So whether it's serving at a day in the park like we're going to have in May this year, where we're not up here as a church selling stuff, trying to ask other people to pay the church's bills. No, we're, we're there giving and serving and ministering. Free meals, free cotton candy, free games. And you can be a part of that or any of our other ministries, outreach ministries. I encourage you to be a part of that. Or maybe it's the group that's going to the Dominican Republic saying, you know what, Let, let's go to the least of these. Let's go to the uttermost parts of the world. And so we're going to go and we're going to serve in Jesus' name. Jesus came to shine for the Father's glory. He came to serve others. And he came to seek the lost. And he sets an example for us in what we are supposed to be about in this world. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to be a part of that? Would you bow your heads with me?